So, I don't know about you, but uh, for me sometimes at this time of year, by this moment in the Christmas season, uh, that's kind of how it sounds in my head. Just Christmas carols all kind of piling together, things happening. And you don't even stop and realize sometimes that the things that we're singing don't make a whole lot of sense or aren't very festive. All right. And so we were thinking about, I was thinking about this the other day. We were talking about as a family. We were riding around and uh, the song came on the Christmas station, whatever station we were on at the time. The Muppets version of We Wish You a Merry Christmas. Right. Which is a great song. Right. Seems very exciting. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. That's why we like it, because it's very simple and a happy new year. Right. And then the second verse. I mean, remember the second verse. So bring us some figgy pudding, right? Anybody know what figgy pudding is? Anybody ever had figgy pudding? We got a picture of figgy pudding right here. This is, um, that's figgy pudding. So just think about the song. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We're excited you're here. Thank you. And now get us some figgy pudding, like now. And in case you don't think they're uh, kind of upset about this, you remember the third verse? We won't leave until we get some. Like, we're hanging out at your house till you get us some figgy pudding and then we'll go home. Now, which tells me two things. First of all, you've got questionable friends if this is their taste in good Christmas food, right? Because I can think of a whole lot of stuff at Christmas time better than this. And secondly, they're not very nice friends if they're demanding it before they will leave your house. And so we just sing things that don't necessarily mean anything to us. And so the goal of this, you can get the figgy pudding off. That's going to ruin some appetites, all right? Um, we sing these carols, and the, kind of the, the idea behind this series has been for us to stop for a moment and just think about the things that we're singing, the things that we're hearing, and what they mean to us, what the biblical understanding of it, what the story is behind it, and how it can impact our lives today. And today we're going to talk about one of my favorite Christmas songs. Here's the thing. Because I'm the preacher, I get to pick which one I talk about, and so I'm going to pick ones that I like, right? And I really do. I really like this particular carol, and it has within it perhaps my favorite stanza, my favorite verse in any hymn. There's just a verse in the middle of this particular song that impacts me every time I really stop and think about it. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We're going to be right in the middle of the Christmas story. And the hymn that we're going to talk about today is Hark How the Welkin Rings. Y'all know that one? Never heard of it, all right? That's the original title for Hark the Herald Sings, right? Hark the Herald Angel Sings. Hark How the Welkin Rings. Now, it was changed because nobody knows what a welkin is. Anybody here know what a welkin is? It means the skies, the firmament, like the stars. And John Wesley, when he wrote the song originally, wrote that. And then this other guy came along who was also kind of a, a another guy that wasn't real contemporary. But he was like, nobody knows what that means. And so he changes it to Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And here's the thing. It starts with a word that we don't use very much, the word hark. Like you don't walk around and go hark very much, right? But it was a song that meant just sit up, pay attention. 
So imagine if you're, I don't know, an, a parent who has a child and you're trying to have a conversation with them and they're doing that slouch thing where they're just kind of sliding down in the seat or they've got their phone in their hand and they're looking at it. Or if you don't have children, you're talking about your spouse or significant other or parents and you're trying to have a conversation with them and they're just in the, another place. They're distracted. They're not really thinking about it. And you go, hey, hey, pay attention. Look at me. At our dinner table a few months ago, we were sitting around. And uh, Ava, who our youngest, Ava was sitting at the dinner table with us. We were having a conversation. And everybody was kind of talking. And she just started hitting the table. And she said, you know what that means? That means pay attention. Like, we need to stop what we were doing and listen to her. Which, that's how she kind of rolls in our house. And so, we, we did. We stopped and we said, all right. She said, everybody's talking. I can't hear you. And so, you got to pay attention. When I was growing up, I had a pastor that used to call people out in service. And so if uh, if we were sitting there, I grew up in First Baptist Dyersburg, and Brother Boston, uh, Raymond Boston, Buddy Boston was my pastor. And if you were talking as a youth or as a kid or you were making noise, he would stop in the middle of his sermon and say something to you. So I remember one Sunday I was sitting in the balcony. Um, a lot of Sundays when I was a teenager, I would I would help run sound. That was part of my in the early service. And so this particular Sunday, um, one of my friends was running it, and so I was just up there kind of hanging out. And me and my friend were hanging out, just talking, having a little discussion about something that wasn't related to church. And Brother Boston just said, um, Lyle and Stephen, are y'all okay up there? Y'all need me to come up there and uh, help you with anything? And you know what happens when the pastor does that? You stop talking. Like, you sit straight. It's one thing to have your mom nudge you, but when the pastor does that, and he would do that every couple of months. It was that, hey, sit up, listen. Well, the word hark is that word. It is pay attention. Look at me. Stop. And so when the writer of this carol, he puts the words into the mouth of the shepherd. And the shepherd is saying, take notice. Pay attention. The shepherds were the only ones to actually see the angels that night. And there were some things about what they saw that they wanted to make sure we see. The shepherd who sings the carol seemed pretty overwhelmed. But what had happened that night, Luke chapter two, we have the story of what happened that night. And we start in the place where the angels actually appear to the shepherds. It says in that same region, shepherds are staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. And we're going to leave it there for just a second because I want you to think about this. One of the things that we pass over oftentimes is the shepherds had absolutely no idea whatsoever that this night would be any different than every other night they had. It was a random, normal, nothing different kind of day. I want you to imagine just for a moment the most normal, routine day you can think of in your life. Like just a Tuesday in... March. Nothing big happening, nothing big going on. You just get up in the morning, the alarm goes off at the same time every morning. You get up, you get coffee if you need that, you get dressed, you get kids dressed, you get all the things together, you got everything together for the day, you're out the door at your normal time, you get no, not running late, not running early, just normal. You get there, you do your work, you, you take care of everything that's done, lunch comes, it's a normal lunch, I don't know, uh, turkey on white bread, I don't know, just normal day because that's what the shepherds were having when it tells us they were out keeping watch over their flocks by night that means they were just doing their job their normal everyday 
mundane job. And then it says this. Then. That's a big then. An angel of the Lord stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. The glory of the Lord shone around them. In the Old Testament, the glory of the Lord was equated with the presence of God. Now, when the glory of the Lord is described, it means that God is here. God is in this place. God is showing his power. God is doing something only God can do. We think about when the temple was being dedicated and Solomon dedicates the temple. It says that the glory of the Lord filled the temple so much that nobody could get in. The idea was that God's presence and power was so real in that moment that nobody could stand in the midst of it. And a opposite situation the ark of the covenant gets stolen and god's people are defeated and when they describe that to the prophet of the day he says ichabod the glory of the lord has departed it's gone The idea is that God's presence, which had been gone for 400 years from the people of Israel, into a shepherds and a field doing their normal everyday thing, suddenly the glory of the Lord is there. And I don't know if it was a bright light. I don't know if it was a halo around this angel. We don't even know what the angel looked like. But I can tell you, whatever the angel looked like, it was frightening. Because everybody that ever sees an angel is scared. It's not a little baby floating on a cloud somewhere. And so this moment happens where the shepherds are minding their own business, talking about the sheep of the day and what they had for dinner and what's going to happen tomorrow. And they're just keeping watch, making sure no animals come around. They're protecting their sheep when suddenly something appears that they don't have an explanation for. The angel said to them what they say to everybody when they first see them. Hey, don't freak out. Don't be scared. I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Good news. Great joy for everybody. We talked about this last week. We'll talk about it a little bit more in just a minute. But nothing demonstrated that the gospel message, the truth of Jesus' birth, was to impact every single person more than the fact that they came to shepherds. Good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today. Right now. Not in the future. Not a thousand years from now. Not next week, but now. A Savior who is Messiah the Lord. Those two words together are interesting because Messiah was describing the one who would come, the one they had been anticipating, the one who would deliver them. They had imagined that one would come who would be their leader, that would be the one that would take them from bondage into freedom. They had prayed about, sought after, looked for the next Moses to come along, their next Messiah, the one true anointed one of God. But then he puts it with the word Lord. And Lord in the New Testament is equated to the Lord in the Old Testament. And Lord in the Old Testament is Yahweh. And if you look at this in the original language, the idea is that today, right now, a Savior who is not only the chosen one of God, He is equal to the Lord God. He is equal to Yahweh. Today, a Savior both Messiah and Lord, is born for you in the city of David. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped snugly in a cloth and lying in a feeding trough. Now think about that for a moment. 
just the putting of those two phrases together today. The Lord is born for you in, day, in the city of David. A Savior, the Messiah, the Chosen One, the one that everybody is looking forward to is there and you'll find Him wrapped in cloth and lying in a feeding trough. Suddenly, there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying. Now think about this. It, by the way, it doesn't say they sang, by the way. There are some people that get upset about Hark the Herald, Angel Sings, because it says the Bible never says they sang. It's true. The Bible doesn't say they sang. The Bible doesn't say they didn't sing, so we don't know. But I like to think they sang, all right? Whatever they did, here's what I can guarantee you. I've been in some places with some people that could absolutely sing in worship experiences that were awesome. But the angels have been practicing for a long time. And they know how to worship God in complete abandonment. And what the shepherds witnessed in that moment is the same thing that John saw in the book of Revelation when it says that people were gathered around the throne and they were singing and praising God endlessly. And this is what they say. Glory to God. At the highest level. Maybe your translation says in the highest place or in the highest heavens. But the idea behind this is glory to God at the top. This is the biggest thing, best thing to glorify Him for. And peace on earth to the people He favors. We'll talk about that a little bit more in just a minute. Next verse. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what was happening which the Lord has made known to us. I loved, um, we we're doing, I don't know about you, but we picked up the Hark uh, Advent devotional. And I loved the description of the, of the shepherds. I think it was yesterday, in fact. It was yesterday or Friday where they were talking about the shepherds. And that at the moment the angels departed, they had a choice. They could say, man, that was awesome. I don't, I don't really understand what just happened there, but we kind of got to take care of the sheep. But go to Bethlehem would that's going to cause us some issues. That's going to be uncomfortable. I mean, it's late. Or they can say what they did. Hey, man, we got to go now. This is free. This isn't even part of the whole overall plan of the sermon. But here's the truth. Every day of your life, you're given opportunities and decisions to choose to follow Christ or to stay where you are and just say, that'd be too much. They hurried off. And found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the feeding trough. And after seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. The shepherds were amazed. Mary and Joseph were amazed. Anybody the shepherds told about it, which the idea behind this is everybody they saw, they told about it. They were all amazed at what the shepherds had to say. We're going to talk about in a minute why they were amazed. It ends like this. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart meditating on them. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, just as they had been told. So the shepherds see all of this. They are amazed at what they've seen. And the question I want to ask today is, what was so amazing to them? And using Hark the Herald Angels Sing, using that great hymn, that great carol, 
we're going to look at three things that I think were amazing to the shepherds and ought to be amazing to us. And the first is really kind of a recap of last week's message, if you were here, but also extending it in a little different direction. The first thing that amazed them was that the angels had chosen to appear to them. Now, we explained this last week. I'm not going to go into full detail about that. But that the shepherds had to be the least likely people on the earth to receive an angelic announcement about the birth of a king. If you would have made a list of, all right, Jesus is going to be a born. The angels are going to announce it to somebody. Who do you think you ought to announce it to? The lowest on that list were the shepherds. I mean, I know sometimes you make Christmas card lists or you make lists for birth announcements or you make lists for birthday invitations or wedding invitations. And you make a list and you go down to the bottom and then you start saying, "Okay, we've got 250 names on here. or We've got 40 names on here. We've got 20 names on here and we only got room for half that. And you start to say, well, you know, we don't have to send them one or maybe we can send we don't have maybe we can send a combined when you start to mark off the list. If you are making a list of people for the angels to announce the birth of Christ to, the shepherds wouldn't have been on the list. They wouldn't have even been thought of as a possibility on the back side. They were the lowest class in Jewish society. They were the ultimate unskilled laborers. They gave John to kids. If you were an adult and still a shepherd, it was a disgrace to your family. And their testimony wasn't even received in court. And here's why the angels appearing to the shepherds is so important to us. Because for a lot of people, while Christmas is joyous and exciting, there are a lot of people where Christmas time and the holidays are not. And it reminds them how deeply disappointed they are in their life. I mean, the holidays can make people feel so alone. All your coworkers are going to spend time with family, friends. Maybe you've got somewhere to go, but it's not the connection that you want. Or remind you of someone that you used to love, used to be in your life. A father, a mother, a husband, or a wife, a child, a friend. A relationship that went wrong. Or maybe you forgot how broken and dysfunctional your family really is. And you only are reminded of that when you actually get together. I mean, for some of you over the next few days, the whole goal is just to survive the holidays. One guy described happiness as having a large, close-knit family that live in another city. I think I got an amen on that, and we won't, we won't tell who that is. People are lonely. Maybe it's you're jobless and worried about your future. You're concerned with your kids or your marriage or the lack of prospects for marriage. Maybe there's some deep trouble at work, financially came to the first Christmas not feeling like they ought to be the one to hear the message, and yet God chose them. And maybe you're in the same place. And here's the amazing thing about the Christmas story. If you are that person who is distraught this holiday season, who is worried this holiday season, that is discouraged this holiday season, you are the very person God most wants to hear the message of Christmas. He went to the least of these To make a grand announcement. They were amazed that the angels appeared to them. You know afterwards when they were telling people about it. People were like why did they come to you? And the shepherd's answer was I don't know. But they did. Second thing that amazed them is they were amazed. That they celebrated so much about the birth of a baby. 
They were amazed at the magnitude of the celebration for the baby. The angels proclaimed glory to God in the highest, which we can interpret to say God deserves the greatest praise for the birth of this baby. The greatest praise you can give to God is for what he has just done in Jesus Christ, which is pretty remarkable because the angels had been firsthand witnesses of some pretty incredible things. When they had been there for creation, when God said, let there be light, and millions of galaxies were formed. In fact, astronomers tell us that there were a total of three million trillion stars. That's three with 24 zeros after it. And after a while, numbers like that just kind of escape us. They all kind of sound the same. And so to kind of give you some perspective, think about seconds, all right? So one second. Second is just... Passing, fleeting. A million seconds ago was 11 days ago. So what would that be? December 7th. So a million seconds ago was a little over seven, 11 days ago. A billion seconds ago would have been somewhere around April the 8th, 1985. So a million seconds is 11 days ago. A billion seconds is 1985. Anybody here not a billion seconds old yet? How many of you were born after 1985? All right. I really didn't need to see some of your hands because that makes me feel old, right? I mean, we're talking about back in 1985, first CD players were just really getting into homes. Jedis had returned for the first time just a few months earlier. So a million seconds is like 11 days ago. A billion seconds is like 1985. A trillion seconds would be 31,688 years ago. So a million seconds is 11 days, a trillion is 32,000 years, and the scientists tell us that the universe has 3 million trillion stars. And the sun, which is not even a big star, is one of those stars, the one that we see every day, and every day it puts out enough energy in a second of the trillion megaton bombs. That's enough energy to run our entire civilization for 500,000 years every second. And the angels had seen that. They had seen God say, let there be light. And it came racing out of his mouth at the speed of light, creating galaxies upon galaxies upon galaxies. And they said that what just happened in that manger was better than that. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, pleased as men with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. The greatest glory that God displayed was his decision to come for us, to live with us, to take our place. This year I listened to um, a podcast, popular podcast, uh, one that gained notoriety or fame a couple of years ago for um, talking about a high school murder case that somebody had been convicted and they were given the case of whether he was guilty or innocent. It's called Serial. Some of you have probably listened been a part of that. But this year they did 
a case of a guy named Bo Bergdahl. And some of you may know the story of Bo Bergdahl, but they investigated whether Bo Bergdahl, who was uh, serving in the Middle East, uh, in a station in the Middle East, in the military, walked away from his station, was captured by the Taliban, was held hostage for years, and then we as Americans gave over five uh, people that we believe to be possible terrorists in Guantanamo Bay to exchange for Bo Bergdahl to come back. And there's lots of controversy about that, and I won't talk about all the controversy. But the serial, it's like trying to get you to decide whether or not he walked away, whether he deserted, whether it was something happened, whether something broke inside of him mentally. Discussion was about him being as a deserter, unbecoming conduct in front of the enemy, traitor. He's on trial for all of that in the military court system. And one guy said, well, what if all these five Al-Qaeda fighters that we gave back come back and kill Americans? That means we've traded the lives of a good Americans for this deserter. And listen, I'm not in any place to be able to make those kind of determinations about Bo Bergdahl. But what I do know is that God knew we were traitors. And he didn't trade the lives of five terrorists to get us back. He traded the life of his one and only son. And First Peter tells us that the angels wish to know more of the mystery of these things. It says they long to look more deeply into this. The angels who saw God create the universe and see His face every single day wish they could understand better the wonder of the gospel that Jesus came for us. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all He brings. Risen with healing in His wings. The angels who had seen God create a world without a, with, with just one word. Three million trillion stars. Each putting out a trillion megaton bonds every second. Were more amazed at the mercy Jesus showed to rebellious sinners. And His power to heal them. Greater is God's power to pour out on us than the power to make the sons of the universe run. And then you have what is my favorite stanzas in any hymn. Mild he lays his glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. You see, the gospel is that you and I are hopeless without Jesus. And Jesus came to save us. You see, I know, I know that it's popular today to talk about how good mankind is. But you see, underneath all your religious, good, moral makeup, we're just rebellious sinners. That may sound harsh. But if you look into your heart, you know that deep down where we know ourselves best, we know that we are desperate sinners in need of a Savior. We make ourselves the focus of our lives. We choose our way instead of God's. We decide that we know better than Him. It's moral insanity and cosmic treason, and the penalty for that is death. And we surround ourselves with this idea that we're basically good people with just blind spots or a few weaknesses, but deep down everybody's good. Everybody's got good in them deep down. 
There's a thing at Christmas that kind of perpetrates this idea, and it's something that I know some of you in this room probably love, and I don't mean to destroy this thing that you probably love, but it's there, and that is um, the uh, Hallmark Channel. You may hear like the Christmas movies on the Hallmark Channel, right? Justin Bagg, a big fan up here, all right? Because what's the basic theme of the Hallmark Channel Christmas movies? Everybody's good, and they're going to take care of each other and give each other gifts. I mean, it's confusing sometimes because the same person plays different roles in, like, four different movies, and, like, you could do a marathon of them and not understand what's going on there, all right? And so I'm not, I'm not against Hallmark movies, and I'm glad Candace Cameron Bure's got a place to do that, and, you know, and Dean Kane, who's been in 12 of these things, I think, over the last 12 years, and... I mean, I'm glad for all of that. I'm glad that sitcom stars from my heyday in the 80s have a place to be on TV. But the idea behind them is, for the most part, is that deep down, when you really get to the heart of people, they're good. And they just need something like Christmas to make it come out. But the scripture teaches us that deep down, when you get to the bottom of who we are, we are not good. We are cursed. We are traitors. We are sinners. And there are only two ways for that curse to be removed. One is for you to choose not to listen to the gift that God has offered in Jesus Christ and for you to choose not to obey or follow God and to spend the rest of eternity separated from Him in a place called hell. Or to choose to believe that Jesus in His love absorbs that sin in our place. I mean, the baby in the manger would be the baby who would grow up to be the man on the cross. And in dying on the cross, like we've talked about, like a sponge, he absorbed the curse of my sin completely. Mild he lays his glories by. Born that men no more may die. I know it's just as popular today to, to think of that there are lots of ways to get to God. There are lots of alternatives that God's like a mountain and if we just take our own road to get to the top of the mountain, we all end up in the same place. I was uh, catching up on uh, one of the most popular shows of the new season, uh, This Is Us, this week. In the Christmas episode, I'm not going to give a lot of spoilers out or anything, but in the Christmas episode, there's a, a place when one of the kids in the show um, has to go to the hospital to have a pretty routine surgery. But one of the other kids is really concerned about that. And they go into the gift shop, the kid does, and he's looking at different things. And he walks up to this stand and there's a, like a cross and there's like a, um, a menorah and there's a, another faith represented in some kind of symbol. And he says to the woman at the cash register, he says, I really need to pray about something. I'm just wondering which of these works best. And the woman at the counter gave the answer that most of our society would give. And she said, well, you know, I guess it really doesn't matter. They all end up in the same place anyways. And as much as our society would like you to believe that and think that, the truth is that Christianity is the one that doesn't give us that option. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. His follower, Peter, said that there is salvation is found in no other name under heaven by which men might be saved except for the name of Jesus. You see, every other religion teaches that you can save yourself if you're good enough, if you do enough good stuff, if you don't do enough bad stuff, that you'll be saved. But we are taught, we see, we know that we can't save ourselves. And Jesus paid for our sins. It's not the same message as everybody else. You see, the truth is, if you're out in the middle of a lake and you can't swim and somebody's on the boat, 
You can hope they can throw you a lifesaver instead of an anvil. Because a lifesaver is going to preserve you and keep you alive or the anvil is going to take you down. And our doing our own works to get ourselves better is the anvil that takes us down and down and down. That Jesus Christ is the only one that can save. Religion says try harder, try better. Jesus' message is you can't do it. I've done it for you. Come and be saved. And the shepherds say, hark, listen to this. Pay attention. And the last thing that amazed the shepherds is that they were the first messengers about Jesus. They were amazed they were the first messengers. Think about this. The only ones who got to see the angels that night were the shepherds. Everybody else had to hear about it from them. We know from the book of Luke that Luke investigated this. We know from history that he interviewed people. He may have interviewed some of these shepherds, or he may have interviewed, he probably interviewed Mary to get her poor, and she told him about the shepherds. But whoever you are outside of the shepherds that night, they're the only ones that they got to see the angels. Imagine Mary and Joseph. They know this has happened, but they're just there having the baby. It's been a difficult night. It's been a difficult journey. They know they're doing what God had called them to do, but they've got no kind of verification of this. And the shepherds are the ones that get the angels, and they get the shepherds. Right? Because we know that when you just have a baby, what you want is dirty, stinky shepherds entering the room. They were the first messengers. And it teaches us something we have to learn from Scripture, and it is this. That God's primary way of telling people about Him and what He has done is through people who are deeply flawed. Shepherds. You see, the first time most people hear the gospel is from someone they know. A family friend. A member of the family. Someone they go to school with. Someone they work with. Someone they live next to. And the problem with that is most people that we're going to share the gospel or want to share the gospel with know the flaws in our lives. And they wonder, how in the world could God use me to speak to my older brother? How in the world could God use me to speak to my kids or to my parents? How in the world could God use me to speak to the guy that sits next to me in class every day? How in the world could God use me to speak to whoever? What Scripture teaches us over and over and over again is just because the messenger is flawed doesn't mean the message is. And it's not our job to make the message better. It's simply to be the people that give it. I mean, in the Old Testament, there's a story. Um, and most of you know the story if you grew up in church. Maybe if you haven't, you've even heard it somewhere outside of here. But the prophet Balaam was about to do something God didn't want him to do. And so he sent an angel to stand in his path. But Balaam couldn't see the angel. Who saw the angel? A donkey. And so the donkey refused to go forward. And so Balaam starts to beat the donkey. And then God opened the mouth of the donkey. And the donkey says, look, Jack, you best stop hitting me. That's a very loose paraphrase of what is there. All right. He says, quit it. But the point of the story is God spoke through a donkey. And if God can speak through a donkey, he can even speak through you. The message to you from the shepherds and from me is that he wants to use you to be his messenger with the gospel to people that need to hear. Hark, listen, pay attention. God's been pursuing you to speak to people. Maybe God's been pursuing you because you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ. You've never accepted forgiveness. You're trying to do it on your own. And he's saying, wake up. Wake up. 
Sit up. Pay attention. It's time. Think about it. And I ask you during this Christmas season, would you stop just for a moment and listen? Would you let the rush and the stress of Christmas fade away just for a second and listen? Would you put aside a minute, put aside your objections and listen? The angels are not telling you to try harder. The angels are not telling you to be better. They are telling you that in yourself you're not good enough. But God is. You'll never be good enough and He loves you anyways. So much so that God sent His Son to earth as a baby in a feeding trough for you. Would you stop and listen? Believers, would you stop and listen? Maybe in the rush to get everything together for your family. Maybe in the rush to get everything together for what you want Christmas to be. Idyllic, perfect Christmas. You've missed an opportunity to talk to a neighbor about Jesus. Their hearts are heavy or they're just wondering or they remember something about Jesus or they know that it's about Jesus or they're not really sure how and they're looking for an opportunity to hear. Would you commit this week to stop and take a moment to be a messenger for Christ? Simply giving a card out to someone, asking them to come to Christmas Eve. Tell them about service here during the rest of the year that we have. Just offering an opportunity to listen and to tell. You know what I love about the shepherds? It's the shepherds didn't have to come up with a message here. Right? It says they simply told people what they had been told. And when it comes to being a messenger for Christ, we just tell what we've already been told. You ain't got to come up with anything. You just relay that God loves us and sit His Son. And that that baby in the manger would one day be the Savior that would pay for our sins. And He's the only way to heaven. We stop. Will you hark, listen to what God intends for you to do in this week before Christmas? Let's pray together.